Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable, and that's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back, and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of China where it is raining today. And I find myself glued to a story that I started in our last podcast. Now, I do not know how long we will be talking about this podcast. It all depends on how many people answer emails that I have sent out asking questions. As of right now, I am going to end this series with just the second podcast because I find it fascinating what took place as well as uh, full of information about something that is taking place that everybody should be aware of. The situation in North Korea continues to escalate into a very violent area of the world. And we have to come together and unified and unify on taking the gospel into North Korea. Now, if you were not listening to uh, our last podcast before starting this one, please stop this one and go back to our previous podcast. Because in our previous podcast, I share about how North Korea is training its, its most elite soldiers to smuggle nuclear bombs across borders into other countries before detonating their individual bombs. These bombs that North Korean this this is a suicide, a kamikaze brigade that you probably have not heard about in the news. You can look it up, you will find it, but this should be front headline news, but instead we're at this point in time in history, we are we are watching 24/7 about a presidential election between two individuals, which is important for the rest of the world. And um, and if you're in the U.S., you've probably been inundated for the last couple of weeks about a football star who refuses to stand during the national or during the during the national anthem uh, before the games. But this is like ISIS, but it's state sponsored with the country that is represented at the United Nations. This is state-sponsored terrorism. This is a this is a kamikaze attacks on a level we haven't seen before. Now, right now, most of the reports that you will read will say that this these smuggling of nuclear bombs and backpacks into other countries is specifically targeting South Korea, but it could be linked to abductions that we've seen take place recently of foreigners. And taken back to North Korea. Um, according to a report by a military defector from North Korea, said that 
Pyongyang intends to use these suicide units, these suicide squad bombers, um, in the same way that Japanese kamikaze pilots uh, use their own bodies to attack warships in the Second World War. These dummy bombs, there, there's dummy bombs that are used to train these elite soldiers that are dedicated to Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea. And these dummy, these dummy bombs are put in backpacks that weigh between 22 pounds and 62 pounds, um, and which is rather small for generating a huge um, uh, explosion from a nuclear bomb. This means that North Korea has been working on, if not, they've already succeeded with making a smaller nuclear bomb, one that can be attached to a warhead or put in a backpack with um, uh, individual. Now, I might put this in an article. I don't know. But there is a Chinese video that is showing a North Korean parade. And in the North Korean parade, if you've ever watched a North Korean parade during their national day, you have all of their big army units kind of paraded out in front of the leader, whether it's Kim Jong-il or Kim Jong-un. And um, as you see the military unit roll down the streets, you can see the different bombs. You can see the, the parade of marching women. You can see the soldiers, the infantry. You can see the artillery. It's kind of all on this big display. For the first time ever this year, when the national parade took place and the military was showing their units, there was a very large unit with a red flag as their as kind of their banner and you had individuals this, this group of of men this these soldiers um, that are that have backpacks strapped to their chests uh, I'm looking at a picture that I took of the video I freeze framed the video so that I can have a picture I want to put it into one of our um, videos, but basically, you have this drab green army truck in North Korea carrying North Korean soldiers, and they are wearing backpacks on the front of their bodies. So they're not the, the backpacks. The packs are not strapped to the back; they're strapped to the front, and there are these black square packs with the 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 sign for nuclear activity on the front in yellow. This is the bomb squad. This is the suicide kamikaze squad where one person can take in a nuclear weapon and detonate it and take out a large uh, area. According to reports from those that have defected, they are training in the Hongyong province, which is the area that I usually travel to and I've spent quite a bit of time in that region. In 1976, Kim Jong-il began, began efforts doing this exact same kind of thing, using small bombs to carry out attacks. Uh, in 1987, there was a flight, a Korean Air Flight 858, which was a scheduled international passenger flight between Baghdad and Seoul, Korea. And so it it boarded on November 29th, 1987, and then they flew out. Uh, they had a short stop in Abu Dhabi, then they had a short stop in um, uh, Thailand, and then they traveled on to South Korea. There were two agents who had been trained by abductees. These two agents were on board that flight from Iraq 
to Seoul, Korea, and they had become they they were trained to be like and act like and talk like Japanese citizens. So they traveled as Japanese, and um, they were trained by. Uh, teachers that had been kidnapped from Japan by North Korea, brought into North Korea, and they were forced to teach a a a, a, a group of people that would be bombers. And two of the people um, that were <clears throat> that were trained were on the flight. It was a male and female um, uh, couple, and they were used uh, to. Plant a bomb onto the aircraft. It was a it was a, a Boeing seven oh seven, and they there was a hundred and four passengers, and they put the bombs in the overhead compartment of the airplane. From what I understand, and then in Abu Dhabi they got off the plane. Shortly after they got off, the the bomb went off, killing everybody on board. Completely destroyed in midair the Korean uh, the Korean air flight. Now, once uh, the the bombers were traced, they were traced in Bahrain, and they were tracked down in Bahrain, and they were brought into custody. But before they could be brought into custody, they had cyanide tablets hidden in their cigarettes. And when they realized that they were about to take be taken into custody, they both took the, the cyanide tablets. The male died, but the female, the woman, um, her name is Kyun Hon Hui. She survived and later confessed to the bombing and talked about the whole procedure of how Japanese were taken, abducted, and forced to teach her the Japanese language and culture so that she could carry out the attack. Now, in the last episode, I talked about an American citizen who has gone, who had gone missing uh, in August of 2004. We talked about his trip to Yunnan province and how he was in Lijiang and he took a hike between Lijiang and Shangri-La. And his backpack was found. All of his belongings were found. His, uh, his account had not been touched for like a week after he went missing. He still had money in his account. He hadn't been taking money out of his account. Uh, his passport was still there. All of his clothes were there. His camera was there. It was clear that he had gone missing. Now, the Chinese government and police came together with the U.S. embassy staff, and they did an investigation, and their investigation concluded that he must have died while hiking in the Tiger Leap Gorge. Uh, however, David's family traveled to China and did their own investigation. And in their own investigation, they found several things. One of the things that they found was that David Snedden traveled safely through the Tiger Leaping Gorge, meaning that he did not die in the Tiger Leaping Gorge. He didn't die from falling. He wasn't washed away in the river. He made it out alive. Uh, they also found multiple witnesses who encountered David between the dates of August 11th and August 14th, the time period in which he was supposedly already dead. Um, the, the police reports um, estimate that he probably died on August 11th, uh, one of the last days that he sent out an email to his mother just before going hiking in the Tiger Leaping Gorge. David was last seen, according to his family. This is another finding that they found. 
David was last seen in Shangri-La around noon on Saturday, August 14th, three days after the police, the Chinese police said that he went missing. David, according to their conclusion, is missing involuntarily, perhaps kidnapped or kept against his will by some persons or organization. But who would kidnap him? Who would take him? And 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 he, nobody ever made ransom uh, demands. So if if it was a if it was an organization or a person that was looking for money, one that is very unlikely in China. I've been traveling in China. I've lived in China for about seventeen years. You're not really going to find too many cases of people being kidnapped and abducted and then tried to be sold for for ransom. This is this is not Somalia or South America. Okay, so you don't have these these situations where one of the reasons why you don't have these kind of situations where people are being abducted, kidnapped, and and, and demand for ransom is the Chinese don't play that game. Uh, if they get to you, they will kill you, and uh, and and they may even enjoy doing it. So they don't they don't play those games very well. Uh, for anybody that's looking to make uh, a, a living by kidnapping people and then selling them for ransom, like they do in Somalia. Uh, you would have a very short lifespan in China. So why would somebody kidnap David, this American uh, Mormon missionary traveling in China? Well, it's definitely not for money because if it was for money, um, there would have been some sort of demand made for ransom, you would think, and that just – that didn't happen. Uh, Would he have been kidnapped by the Chinese government? Well, for, for what purpose? What purpose would he serve? Uh, I mean, he was a he was a college student, so he wasn't involved in any sort of government operations, as far as we know. Um, he uh, it is documented that he was studying Chinese at the uh, Beijing University. He had been a Mormon missionary for two years in Seoul, South Korea, and he was uh, going to be a law student. So that is a that is a pretty time consuming alibi. If he was actually a secret agent with the United States government, uh, he would be uh, spending way too much time in class. He would need a better cover than being a student because a student would require so much of his time. And so I doubt that would be the case. The China really don't. They, the Chinese really don't need him for anything. There's nothing that he could do that they could not find through someone else that might be. Um, a lot more valuable for their purposes if they were to kidnap him. I just I can't come up with any logical reason why China would kidnap David. But I do believe in the report that David's family came up with, and their conclusion is David is missing involuntarily. I'm reading this verbatim from their report. This is um, the the report that was that was given out by David Snedden's family with Roy Snedden and um, his, uh, David's two brothers, Michael and James Snedden, who traveled to China and wrote up this report. And their conclusion, after doing uh, a lot of research, a lot of interviews, a lot of investigation, meeting with the police, meeting with all of the hotel people meeting with eyewitnesses meeting with the the embassy staff their conclusion was and is david is missing involuntarily perhaps kidnapped or kept against his will by some persons or organization now there were other people that said that david may have wanted to escape from the mormon church he found a girl 
and he wanted to start a new life again in China. Well, there's a couple challenges with that. One is that David was a part of the mainstream Mormon church, not one that you really have to go into hiding when you when you run from um, the, the, the church. So it wouldn't be because of religious pressure that he would need to go into hiding. Um, but even if he just wanted to kind of go off the grid— he would need a passport to survive in China. You, you you don't just walk around China as an illegal alien. It's not the United States of America where you can live for years and years as an illegal alien without proper paperwork. Everybody knows that you're a foreigner. You can't stay anywhere or go anywhere without having proper identification. And his proper identification being his U.S. passport was found in the hotel where he was at. So that 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 uh, he would need his passport for living that kind of life inside of China. Uh, he would also probably like to take the rest of the money that he has in his bank account, which was largely left untouched. So the the idea of him trying to escape from the Mormon church and start a new life in uh, uh, China because he could not handle the pressures and just wanted to escape from it all is is a very thin explanation for him being missing. Um, there he gave no indication. It just it happened abruptly. Uh, he, he writes to his parents two or three times a week. Somebody who wanted to escape from their family probably would not have that level of communication with their family. But. A key point to this case broke um, just a few days ago when a Yahoo News report um, came out on August 31st. I'm doing this. Re- I'm doing this podcast on the third of September. So only four days ago. Four days ago, Yahoo News came out and said that um, uh, South Korea's Choi Song-yong, head of South Korea's abductees family reunion. Um, this is a group that's put together because South Koreans are often abducted by North Koreans and then used for their training program. Uh, he reported that David had indeed been abducted, kidnapped by North Korea to be an English tutor to North Korea's leader Kim uh, Kim. Uh, Kim Jong-un. The Yahoo News uh, in Japan reported that David um, was found in North Korea. He's been a tutor for Kim Jong-un. He's married and has two children. Huge news, though you might not have heard about it. This is an American citizen who was kidnapped in China, abducted in China. This should be a, a problem for the Chinese as well as the Americans. Now, the Americans, uh, the American government is coming together um, and they are introducing a resolution on behalf of David Snedden. This is um, the hearing that is taking place at, in the U.S. Congress. Uh, this is a clip from C-SPAN. On August 14, 2004, David Snedden, a student at Brigham University, disappeared without explanation while hiking in the Yunnan province of southwest China. David is an outstanding young man who speaks fluent Korean and has spent the summer studying Mandarin in Beijing with plans to return to the U.S. in August 
to finish his degree in Chinese. He had already paid a housing deposit and registered to take the law school admissions test. The U.S. State Department and Chinese government eventually concluded that David fell into a gorge while hiking. But David's family conducted their own exhaustive investigation, with David's father and two older brothers flying to China shortly after his disappearance to retrace his steps. In the course of talking with numerous eyewitnesses, David's family discovered facts which contradict the official explanation and which I believe are compelling evidence of another possibility, which I'll get to in just a moment. <clears throat> my staff and I, my, and I met David's family and heard his story soon after I was elected three years ago. The Snedens are remarkable people of great faith who have continued to pursue an explanation for David's disappearance the, for the past 11 years. The resolution I am introducing today regarding David's disappearance is a result of the hard work and diligence of David's parents, siblings, and cousins. They deserve answers. They deserve to have their government do everything possible to determine what happened to David. I should also add that David's story is personal to me. He was a close friend of my oldest son, Sean. In fact, following David's two-year missionary service in South Korea, David taught my son, Sean, the Korean language as he was preparing to begin his own missionary service in South Korea. So this was, this was one of the representatives uh, from Utah who is standing before uh, the U.S. Congress and introducing a resolution, and he's doing it uh, in collection with others. So it's not just um, – uh, this representative Chris Stewart by himself, he he is he is also uh, with several other uh, con congressional members who want to see something done if David Snedden was indeed abducted by North Korea. Um, this has been on the news. This is a, a news report that that came out uh, about the situation. Uh, where they are reopening the case. Officials in China want to reopen the case of, of uh, David. It's been 10 years since a Nebraska native vanished during a trip to China, and it's still a mystery. Now his family wonders if he was kidnapped and if North Korea may be involved. Now congressional delegations from Nebraska and Utah want the U.S. State Department to reopen the case. It is a story you will see tonight only on 7 from KETV News Watch 7's Andrew Ozaki. And it started to make the local news, but not really the international news about what took place with David. And now with this information that uh, we find that he was abducted by, possibly abducted, most likely abducted, by North Korea. But why would North Korea need to go all the way to Western China to kidnap some random white American and bring him back to um, North Korea to teach English? Couldn't Kim Jong-un find another teacher? Couldn't he find someone else to teach English to him? Well, for those that, of you that are familiar with Kim Jong-un, things don't always make sense in the fairy tale land of North Korea. Kim Jong-un is the world's youngest leader at 32 years old, but he had been leader, the leader of North Korea for two years before the world even knew his proper birth date. We didn't even know when he was born. We didn't know what year because there were conflicting information that we had from North Korea. But we also had a secret um, document that had been recovered from a school that Kim Jong-un attended uh, in Switzerland. 
Now, Kim Jong-un went to a private school in Switzerland. Uh, the area that he lived in, which was close to Bern, uh, would indicate that his German is probably excellent. He probably also studied English, and because it's Switzerland, he's probably also at least a, a, a bit familiar with both French and Italian as well. But English is what he really needed. Um, he, w he left school abruptly from Switzerland in 2000, the year 2000. So the, the school officials don't know why he was yanked out of school, but he was yanked out of school in 2000 and sent back to North Korea. And there's a reason why. If you know the story and you look at what took place in North Korea around that time, uh, Kim Jong-un, which the world did not even know existed, they did not even know that Kim Jong-il had a son by the name of Kim Jong-un. He had been living in Switzerland as the child of a diplomat. But his older brother, the world was well aware of, and he was the one that was supposed to take over after Kim Jong-il. He was being groomed and tailored since his birth in the 1970s. His name is Kim Jong-nam. Now, Kim Jong-nam had been tailored to be the replacement for Kim Jong-il in this dynasty of North Korean leaders. But in 2000, it became clear that Kim Jong-nam could not be the leader. He started to, when they would take trips to China and, and look at the, the IT factories, there was signs that Kim Jong-nam was, and he, he, he loved the life in China. He could, when he went to Shanghai with his father, he could see the booming lights. The kind of life that um, existed in Shanghai was the one that he dreamed about, that he'd seen in Hollywood movies and other Asian movies, but he wasn't having in Pyongyang. He wanted more. He wanted to have that nightlife. And this started to worry his father, Kim Jong-il, as well as the other leaders. And that's when they realized that they need to bring in a backup plan just in case. And that's when Kim Jong-un was brought into the scene. And then a year later, Kim Jong-il was caught going to Disneyland with his fake passport. I mean, it wasn't just a fake passport. Kim Jong-nam... Kim Jong-il's oldest son, the leader of North Korea. This is the guy that's being, Kim Jong-nam was being groomed to be the top leader of the most closed communist nation in the world, the Hermit Kingdom. And what does he do? He goes out and gets a fake passport from the Dominican Republic. First of all, Kim, you don't look Dominican. <laughs> you don't even look close to being Dominican. So he's carrying this Dominican Republic passport and he tries to go into Japan. He tries to uh, pretend to be a Chinese citizen uh, because, of course, North Koreans would – would uh, a North Korean name or a, a, a Korean name may set off red flags um, try, trying to go into Japan. So he used a fake Chinese name, Pang Xiong. Now, if you are not familiar with the Chinese language, Pang Xiong is the – Pang – like if somebody calls you fat, they're like, oh, ni fei chang pang ah. Um, pang means fat, to be fat. Xiong is bear. Xiong Mao is panda. So by saying Pang Xiong is you're a fat bear. So the Chinese name that Kim Jong Nam used was fat bear. That was, <laughs> that was the name that he chose. This guy, and, and he was a bit of a character. He walks up to Japanese, the Japanese uh, immigration with like this black trench coat, this white t-shirt, this 
pimp and gold chain and sunglasses. Uh, I mean, there was something off about him from the very beginning. So that is when uh, his younger brother, Kim Jong-un, is brought into North Korea. The world does not even know that he exists, and he begins to be groomed for um, uh, life in North Korea to be the leader. The thing is, is that one of the languages that he's going to need to learn and be fluent in is English. One of the main English teachers during that time was a guy by the name uh, during that time of 2000 and when, when Kim Jong-un returned back. There was a guy by the name of Charles Robert Jenkins. He was the English teacher for the North Korean elite, including Kim Jong-un, people like Kim Jong-un. Now, he had been in North Korea for a very long time. He was, um, he, he was a, an American soldier who had been serving inside of North or he had been serving uh, in the, during the Korean War in the 1950s. Uh, he was a member of the National Guard in 1955, and he joined at the age of 15, well below the minimum enlisted age. He joined the regular army, so he was in the National Guard in 1955. Three years later, he joined the regular army and was assigned to the 1st Cavalry Division, where he served in South Korea from 1960 to 1961, and then from 1962 to 1964. So... He actually is about three years serving in the military, obtains the rank of sergeant, and then one night while doing night patrols, he decided that he was just done. He didn't want to be in the military anymore, but he didn't want to just quit. So he crossed into North Korea and surrendered to the forces there in hopes of being sent to Russia and through a prisoner exchange, eventually returned to the United States and probably be considered a war hero. But that's not what happened. When he crossed over and surrendered into North Korea, North Korea let their propaganda machine go loose. They had a U.S. sergeant from the U.S. Army uh, that had defected, and the broadcasts went wild. And they made all kinds of um, statements using the propaganda from this Army sergeant. And they claimed that Jenkins wrote four letters stating that he wanted to defect. He wanted to live in North Korea. All four of those letters, by the way, um, Jenkins denies those. He, he says that he never, never sent those. But Charles Jenkins uh, was not there alone. He had three other U.S. servicemen who were kept in the same quarantine one-room house. A guy by the name of uh, Larry Abesher. Uh, Jerry Parrish and James Dresnock. Um, these were three people who were quarantined in a one-room house with no running water, and they were there for seven years, all four of them. They were made to study Jucha. Jucha is the philosophy that Kim Il-sung um, gave to people in his book, almost like Mao's Little Red Book. It's where people praise him and they read his writings. And uh, so they were, they were forced to study Jucha philosophy and forced to memorize large passages of Kim's uh, writings in Jucha. And they were beaten on a regular basis and uh, by, by their guards, kept from food, wa uh, water. Uh, they, they had no running water, so their, the, the facilities where they used the restroom, all of that stuff was all – it was disgusting. Uh, finally, after 1972, 
uh, he was used as an English instructor. Once it was determined that he had been fully re-educated, which is very common in communist uh, countries to be re-educated. Those that believe in evolution, you have to be re-educated into all of that. In 1980, Jenkins, who was being an English teacher, he had been teaching um, um, several people about the English and American culture uh, so that spies could be used in America. He was uh, given a gift. His gift was Hitomi Soga, and she was a 21-year-old Japanese nurse, and she had been taken, kidnapped, by North Korean agents in 1978. So North Korea has a long history of kidnapping people from their own uh, country. Including places like in Hong Kong, right here in China, um, when uh, uh, Kim Jong-il wanted to make movies, uh, Kim Jong-il joined the Propaganda and Agitation Department in 1966. That's, that's a, the real name of, of, a, of a department in North Korea. It's called the Propaganda and Agitation Department. In 1966, he soon became the director of the Motion Pictures and Arts Division, and he loved making movies. He was a real movie buff. So how did he make movies? Well, pretty easy. He went to Hong Kong and and kidnapped um, two people, a famous film director and a famous actress. He kidnapped them in Hong Kong, brought them um, to North Korea in 1978, and kept them there until 1986. So for eight years, they were forced to stay in North Korea and make movies. One of the movies that was made during the time that they were there was a North Korean film that starred Jenkins. So Charles Jenkins, this, this defector, this U.S. Army sergeant, appeared in a movie, a North Korean film that's called Unsung Heroes. And it was the first evidence um, to the Western world that Charles Jenkins was still alive. Um, so this shows that uh, North Korea will, will definitely kidnap people from their homes in order to um, bring them in and train people like the bombers that they had for the Korean air flight from Iraq to Seoul that was blown up. Here is a um, uh, U.S. Army deserter Charles Jenkins' comment about how his wife was kidnapped. Now, this is in Thailand because Thailand also had people that have been kidnapped by North Korea, Romania, Germany, America, South Korea, um, and, and Japan. So... Charles now Charles Jenkins now lives in Japan and he talks about how his wife and his wife's mother were kidnapped. So he 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 goes into detail about how they were kidnapped the night of uh, the night that the North Korean agents came to their home in Japan and kidnapped them and forced them back to bring them back to North Korea. Listen to this. Right in front of the house of living now. Now he's he's got a, a little bit of a strong accent. It's almost like a a, a bit um, globbed or or right in front of the house I live in now. So it's not clear English, but he's saying that right in front of the house that I live in now. He's talking about Japan. They were abducted, folks. So his wife and mother were abducted. I got a bag, threw over the shoulder. Put tape on her mouth, tied her arms, 
and put on a small motorboat that was waiting under the bridge. So his wife had tape put over her mouth. She was put inside of a bag, thrown over the shoulder of a North Korean agent. They ran her down to a boat that was waiting underneath a bridge. And that this is, and it continues on. And I could see they went, she started, she, it was just dark. And approximately one hour she rode that boat. So this this abduction, this kidnapping by North Korea took place of his wife. So his wife, which was given to him as a gift while he was an English teacher in Pyongyang. So he was he was kept by North Korea, not told whether he was dead or alive to the Americans. He was considered to be a a, a, a missing in action. Actually, he's, he was categorized as AWOL, absent without leave. So he was not a POW, categorized as a POW as such, kind of forgotten about, just left behind in uh, in North Korea. And uh, his wife was given to him as a gift. So uh, his wife, this the way that she was abducted was North Korean agents went to her house at night, put tape over her mouth, put her in a bag, threw her over the shoulder, did the same with her mother, and then took her to a boat at, at, that was waiting under a bridge. So they got to a bigger boat and put on the big boat to North Korea. But her mother has now been seen yet. So he says that um, the small boat took her for about an hour. After an hour, the, she was offloaded onto a bigger boat, and then the bigger boat took her to North Korea. Her mother was never seen again. So they don't know what happened to the um, Charles's wife's mother, so his mother-in-law. So here we have very good evidence and a long history that traces directly to David. Now get this. This is a connection that I've only heard in one place. It was on a podcast called Sideways, Sideways Podcast. They they did the podcast last year, and their conclusion was North Korea abducted um, David, but they did not have the evidence that we have right now. So it was a pretty good guess by Sideways Podcast that you can go on and listen to this very podcast. But the connection that they make is that Charles Jenkins escaped from North Korea in July of 2004. The way that he did that was that um, the Japanese had suspicion that there were abductees uh, from Japan in North Korea, but they couldn't prove it. North Korea wanted to engage uh, in 2003 and 2004, they wanted to engage the rest of the world. The sanctions were working. They wanted the sanctions lifted. And in order to uh, make good faith, they admitted to South Korea and Japan and some other places that, listen, we have people that are here in our country that are citizens of your nation that we actually abducted. <laughs> Big, you know, it's just one of those things. We're going to admit it. And as long as we admit it, it's okay, right? You can forgive us and we can move on and we can start doing these trade deals. We're doing this in good faith. And what happened was um, Japan said, sure, this is all this is all a part of our battles back and forth with one another. Um, why don't you allow the abductees who have been taken from their families to come and reunite with their families for one week and then they can go back to North Korea? Once the families, one which included Charles' wife, she went to Japan. Charles and his two daughters stayed in North Korea because of fear of safety. 
um, they, they, they thought that they were being tested for their loyalty with North Korea, which is a mind game that they often uh, play with their prisoners. So they thought it was a trick. So Charles and his daughters stayed in North Korea. Once the Japanese uh, abductees got to Japan, the Japanese government said, yeah, just kidding. They're staying here. These are our citizens. We're not sending them back to your madhouse of a country. Uh, it was we we did whatever we could to get our people into our country. Now you can uh, bug off. Now Charles and his daughters were able to um, get medical treatment and go to Indonesia, and eventually they got into Japan, where uh, Charles was able to get residency, and, and and the Japanese government allowed him to stay, where he's now living in the house where his wife was abducted. So he escapes from North Korea. This is very important that you understand this connection here. So the reason I tell you all of this, because many of you might be thinking, why are you telling this story? What does this have to do with uh, missions in North Korea? What does this have to do with back to Jerusalem? What does this have to do with missionaries and the missionary efforts? I listen to your show for updates on mission efforts, and you're telling me about a missing Mormon missionary. This is very important. This is why. And when I heard this on the Sideways podcast, I thought that this was a phenomenal connection that I haven't heard anywhere else. Charles Robert Jenkins escaped from North Korea into Japan in July of 2004. North Korea lost their American English teacher. They needed a new one. And in August 2004, the same year, one month later, they found their new English teacher, which is now living. David is now living in North Korea, teaching English. And according to reports that have come out, he was one of the English teachers for Kim Jong-un, the president of North Korea. With the bombers that are coming from the most elite soldiers, which is what I connected all of this to from the beginning, If they are going to go into South Korea, guess what language they're going to have to study? South Korean language. And guess who they're going to study it from? South Korean abductees. If they are going to take um, kamikaze suicide bombers into downtown Tokyo, they're going to need to blend in in order to get into the center of the most busiest areas of the area. If they speak if they look North Korean, they speak North Korean, and they give away their, their 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 nationality, they probably are not going to make it very far. So how do they infiltrate Japan? They use Japanese abductees to teach, force them to teach language and cultures and customs. And then the top elite students mimic those individuals. If they are going to Get in. If these suicide bombers with nuclear bombs that have been paraded on TV in North Korea wearing black backpacks strapped to the front. this These are photos coming from China and North Korea. Video footage of North Korean parades with bombs on the front of their bodies. Those individuals who plan to make it in, let's say that they don't have a missile and they don't have uh, a nuclear weapon that would be able to reach America. What if they could get 
a, a an agent, a North Korean agent, into America with one of these backpacks? How would they train somebody to be able to have American English, have American customs, follow the American way of life so that they, as a spy, as an infiltrator, would be able to get right into their midst, into the midst of the Americans and release that bomb? They would need somebody to be their teacher, somebody like David Snedden. And that is where I believe that there is a connection. And it's one in which we should learn from. Because to the Greek, I am a Greek. To the Jew, I am a Jew. I am all things to all men that some might believe. What if we can do the exact same thing, getting North Koreans into the center of North Korea, releasing the bomb of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Not a nuclear weapon that kills people, but a, uh, a, 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 almost like a nuclear explosion of truth that saves people. What if a bomb can be brought into North Korea to bring truth that will bring more life than the death of Kim Jong-un's vision and plans? When we look at North Korea, their future is bleak, but they are not going to be isolated in their misery. This you need to hear very clearly. This is what you need to understand, what I'm trying to share is that misery loves company. They are not going to, North Koreans and those that have been held in the chains of the enemy for generations and are forced to live in the misery of a society that is absent of God. They do not want to live in their misery alone. They want to bring you with them. Now, if you think that North Korea can be isolated and you can just forget about them, just leave them off to their, to their lonesome and they'll leave you alone. You are dead wrong. In my opinion, the EU and the United States need to come together and support missions work in North Korea. Because spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in North Korea is good for everyone. Allowing it to remain in darkness is bad for everyone. It will affect you and your family, I guarantee it. By having individuals that are trained suicide kamikaze bombers that have more discipline, more education, and, 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 and probably just as much zeal as an ISIS soldier. Uh, ISIS, by the way, does not have the discipline of the North Korean soldiers. They do not have the education of the North Korean soldiers. They do not have the brainwashing completeness of the North Korean soldiers. The zeal can be matched. The zeal that the Islamic fighters have for Islam and ISIS is not bigger or better or more than the zeal that we see for the North Korean soldiers that are fighting for Kim Jong-un and a communist society. The zeal can be equal, but the North Koreans are more dangerous than ISIS because they have access to nuclear weapons. That has not become the case yet for ISIS. Now, once ISIS has access to nuclear weapons, we're talking about a different game. But right now, in North Korea, you have kamikaze uh, 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 suicide bombers that are strapping more than a bomb to their chest that will take out a shopping mall. We're talking about individuals who strapping a bomb to their chest that can take out a small section of New York City. 
these in this area of the world needs the illumination of Christ more than ever before. The only way to change this area is to change the hearts and the minds of the people inside. We've seen it happen in China. Today, China is not the same as it was in the 1960s and 70s. It's not the same as it was in the 1950s when the communist revolution took place in 1949. Today, North Korea needs the same revivals to take place that we have seen inside of China. One that is com- that is that will completely and radically change the nation forever. David Snedden's story is one that reveals to us exactly what we're up against. A nation that endorses kidnapping and abducting individuals and forcing them to teach their people so that they can do infiltration. Today we have back to Jerusalem missionaries that have infiltrated in behind enemy lines into North Korea and they're sharing the gospel. We are so excited that we have partners like you that are listening to this podcast as well as financially supporting the efforts. We want to thank you for your continued support and we want to thank you for standing beside us in prayer and being a part of the projects that we are doing inside of North Korea like our Bible distribution program. We pray that uh, this Small podcast, as amateur as it is, gives you at least a little bit of information about what we are doing on the field and the kind of enemy that we are up against. We thank you for your prayers, and we thank you for downloading yet another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of China. God bless you. Hello, I'm Eugene Bach, and I'm coming to you with a little bit of a Back to Jerusalem emergency. We need your help. For those of you that are able to help, if you are retired or you are a student or you are finding yourself right now with a vision to serve in missions, we need you. Today, Back to Jerusalem missionaries in China are training people that are going to the field between China and Jerusalem in the 1040 window. Many of those students are learning English as their second language, and if you speak English, we need your help. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably speak English. For those that are willing to make a six-month commitment or a one-semester commitment, we will provide housing and air tickets once you pass a very simple background check and sign a confidentiality agreement. The schools are underground house church schools, and they desperately need your partnership today. This is a offer that we are giving out, sending out for the very first time because we are in an emergency situation where we have missionaries that are ready to go. They just need help. We can arrange all of the logistics to get your visa, housing, and transportation if you send me an email at sinobach at gmail.com. S-I-N-O-B-A-C-H at gmail.com. Again, you can send me a message to my email at S-I-N-O-B-A-C-H at gmail.com. Thank you for praying about this, and thank you for partnering together with Back to Jerusalem. God bless.